0: letter fourteen of the outcast by william winwood reed this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine my first month at Limerley was spent in a state of unalloyed delight to see innocent faces to breathe the fresh air was pleasure enough for one who had been imprisoned so long in a den of crime a dungeon of disease my strength was rapidly restored and new blood flowed through my veins as sap in dry trees when the winter is past but my brain having recovered its vigour forced me to remember and reflect i was in the midst of scenes hallowed and endeared by the memory of margaret i thought of all her virtues her piety and love i had never known her to be angry or cold and she bore the most terrible calamities with cheerfulness and courage when i came home to our hideous garret in whitechapel i found the same affectionate welcome as in the days of our prosperity and when i gave her the scraps of dry bread which i had begged she took them joyfully and jestingly as if it were a feast she once said that she thought jesus and his disciples must have lived like ourselves because it was in the lord's prayer give us this day our daily bread and this fancy invested for her with a halo of romance our miserable lives her trust in god seldom wavered but seemed to be strengthened by affliction and the more she suffered the more she loved my nature was not so submissive and though now the spirit of foolish and impotent wrath had passed away though now the old habit of devotion was knocking at the door of my heart though now i longed to worship god it was necessary first i should be able to revere him i considered that if he were omnipotent the death of margaret was a crime but from this painful conclusion i took refuge in a theory i had seen somewhere suggested that god was perfectly benevolent and had made the world as well as he was able but that his power was contracted and controlled by the evil nature of the material with which he had to deal this gave me comfort for a time but i soon saw through the fallacy for since men have been upon the earth they have made it better and therefore before they came upon the earth god could have made it better had he pleased if not man is more powerful than god which is contrary to reason but the opposite theory brought me to an equally ludicrous dilemma for no man if endowed with miraculous power his moral nature being left unchanged would be guilty of making a world in which murder is as the mainspring to a watch therefore man is more good than god which again is absurd i now began to suspect that our conception of god was entirely erroneous for what is the definition of god a perfect mind and what is mind it is a product of the earth a created thing existing within the lower animals in a rudimentary condition and in truth not less human than the body mind cannot create it can only arrange and dispose as shelley remarked long ago even a perfect mind could not create a grain of sand we suppose that god is a mind or has a mind because mind is the highest species of force with which we are acquainted and if we must define god it is the best definition of which the human intellect is capable but is it for man to define god is it probable that we who are but as animalcules crawling on a speck of matter floating in space an infinitesimal fraction of the universe is it probable that we should be able to form from our minds a correct image of the creator at this time i happened to read the well-known passage in bacon's advancement of learning certain it is that god worketh nothing in nature except by second causes and this set me thinking on all that i had read in scientific works about natural law governing physical phenomena and thence i was taken on to the conclusion that all moral phenomena and events are also subject to fixed and invariable law that god has no personal relations with the earth and that his entity or being is higher than a perfect mind and far beyond human comprehension but perhaps some clue might be obtained to the intentions of god in regard to ourselves by a careful study of the natural laws which govern the earth as these laws which for brevity's sake i shall sometimes call nature may fairly be considered the expression of his will my friends the irvines had left Limerley, and their villa was for sale one day i entered the garden where i had passed so many delightful hours it was now quite neglected the lawn was strewed with brown and yellow leaves the shrubberies were ragged and wild weeds covered the gravel paths and the well-known flower-beds which once were splendid with colour and delicious with perfume everything bore the impress of decay I went to Margaret's favourite rose-bush. It was dead. Alas, thought I, the same cruel law pervades the whole animated kingdom. Trees and flowers, insects and birds, the fish of the sea, the beasts of the earth, all must die, as men die, after a life of combat and pain. Then I considered this fact from another point of view. Was it not strange that man, who is God's noblest work, should be subject to the same law as the lower animals to the same law even as the flower was it not strange that nature should treat the greatest men with the same unconcern as the meanest creatures of the soil slaying with a breath of pestilence a genius over his noble work as she sweeps away with a breath of wind a spider spinning in its web the injustice of this law and its imperfection troubled me exceedingly after much thought i found the solution of the problem but it was a sad discovery we are not sent upon the earth to pass through an ordeal and to be rewarded or punished in another world after death according to our actions we are sent upon the earth for the sake of the earth in common with the atoms of water and air we are part of the material with which the creator through secondary laws carries out his scheme whatever it may be those laws are evil and imperfect to us as they are to the insects and the flowers but they were not arranged for our approval and convenience and are no doubt perfect as regards the purpose for which they were designed this made me very sad i reasoned with myself that it was but a theory yet i felt it was the truth and it forced itself upon me in spite of the aversion it provoked i was humbled and mortified so then we were merely as slaves merely as lower animals merely as potter's clay and where now was the hope of a life beyond the grave it is the best argument in favour of a future life that man deserves compensation for unmerited suffering but if man is only raw material that hope falls to the ground then again the spirit of science spoke within me it is probable that in death the mind is decomposed nothing is ever destroyed and that its elements are recombined into other forms of mental life so that though the individual intellect perishes nothing is lost to the race if this supposition be correct great men bequeath not only their works but their minds to humanity one soft june night i went out and sat on a cliff overhanging the seashore the voices of the hay reapers working by moonlight mingled with the sound of the waves breaking on the beach on the west dark pine woods lined the horizon on the east lay the grey ocean above was a cloudless sky shining with innumerable stars each star a sun the centre and sovereign of a system my head swam as gazing upwards i beheld worlds lying as thickly together as leaves in a forest at least so it seemed We know that in reality vast distances divide them o prodigious universe i sighed and o poor vain ignorant man that could believe all these were made for him lo indeed is our true condition in this wondrous galaxy of worlds we call ourselves god's noblest work but perhaps there are in those distant orbs or rather in the planets by which they are attended beings who would look upon us as we look upon the ants and the bees to whom our highest efforts of mind would seem but as curious instincts or faint gleams of rudimentary intelligence at that moment a gun was fired from the sea the reapers came running to the brink of the cliff and a great ship passed gliding through the waters against wind and tide its chimney aflame casting sparks into the air It was the first steamer i had seen and i rejoiced at this triumph of art over nature ha ha thought i if man is small in relation to the universe he is great in relation to the earth he abbreviates distance and time and brings the nations together he covers the wilderness with cities and cornfields and gardens he modifies climate and dispels disease in every generation he makes the world happier and better than it was before i sprang to my feet and walked quickly to and fro my brain was in a whirl i saw the light again the blessed light of hope and joy if we i exclaimed are fellow-slaves with the humblest creatures of the earth and even with the elements we are also fellow-workers with god and assistants of his inscrutable designs for it is plain that one part of the divine scheme is the progress of the earth from a lair of wild beasts and savages to a paradise of happiness and virtue and that man has been selected to represent the good to extinguish the evil to be the ormuz that should conquer asraman to master by the powers of his intellect those laws of which he is now the subject and the slave and i believe that when man fully understood and realized his mission a new religion would animate his life it would be a religious duty to battle with the evil in nature and to labor for the glory of the planet, since for that purpose men were placed by God upon the earth. The intellect would be carefully trained, idleness and ignorance would be stigmatized as sins, the social affections would be developed to the fullest extent, and all men would abandon the hopes of personal immortality as a selfish craving at variance with the general welfare of the race having cast aside these personal desires they would labour for posterity and look forward with chivalrous delight to the bliss that others would enjoy then i cast aside all thought for the future fate of my own soul to labour and love without hope of requital or reward what religion could be more pure and more sublime hitherto i had looked on the earth as a strange country and life as the journey of a traveller But now the earth became my fatherland and all mankind my fellow-countrymen i kissed the grass and flowers growing on the brink of the cliff i sang to the waters and the winds and the beasts and the birds saying together we accomplished the work of the creator and then smile at me ellen if you will i felt a rapture of love for the whole human race i resolved to preach the new gospel far and wide and proclaim the glorious mission of mankind this dream of prophecy did not last beyond the night however i had discovered a religion for myself never since have i been distressed by the problems of existence and i then laid down a rule of life to which i have always rigidly adhered my time at limmerly being now at an end i returned to london and worked at the thucydides which was received with much favour at both universities henceforth i was a known man and mr haynes who was alone in the firm and advanced in years offered me a situation with a fair prospect of becoming junior partner then dr chalmers returned from the uttermost ends of the earth took up his abode in town and made me live with him he published his notes on the flora of the countries he had visited and was made a fellow of the royal society he gave sunday evening receptions at which i had the pleasure of meeting nearly all the great men of science and many distinguished authors and artists all urged him to prepare his narrative for publication but he had begun to travel too late in life the book was beyond his strength and the dear noble-hearted man died in my arms only three years after his return shortly afterwards my father also died he left the bulk of his fortune to various christian missions for the conversion of india as some compensation to the natives of that country for the exactions and oppressions of his father the nabob when resident at the court of my name was not mentioned in the will but the hollywood estate was entailed and therefore came into my hands had i known this margaret's life would have been saved but i did not even know that there was such an estate in existence i was informed by james whom i now took into my service or rather i gave him a pension that my father's health in spite of his iron constitution had quite broken down of late years something seemed to be preying on his mind and ten years before his death he left Harborne altogether i believe that he loved me in his heart and suffered like another brutus but what else could he have done He acted rightly according to his barbarous Calvinistic creed. In his eyes I was a servant of Satan, and he refused me admission to his house as he believed that God would refuse me admission to heaven when I died. Such is faith. It is not only opposed to reason but to charity, and with an unnatural piety can tear the fibres of a father's heart and leave him wounded to languish and to die. It was the perfection of his belief that led to so much misery if i were a young man endowed with literary powers and about to begin my career i should adopt as the work of my life the diffusion of doubt for doubt dissipates superstition and softens the rancour of religious life without doubt there can be no tolerance and the history of tolerance is the history of doubt the skepticism spread by voltaire humanized the dogmas of the roman church and we ourselves are passing through a silent gradual but momentous doubting revolution what is it that has made the clergymen of all denominations in these later days so temperate in their views so considerate for the opinions of others it is doubt arising from discoveries in science and from numberless works in which religious topics have been treated with freedom of spirit certainly there has been a wonderful change within the last twenty years when i lived with dr chalmers in london men spoke of these matters under their breath but now ladies discuss them freely enough and i have heard a clergyman of the church of england say things in the pulpit which in my younger days very few laymen would have dared to say at a dinner party yet in spite of all this progress much religious persecution goes on and bigotry abounds the diffusion of doubt is the only remedy for these evils and though the hacking and hewing of old beliefs must cause much suffering it is better that a thousand should suffer rather than that one crime of intolerance should be committed i now withdrew from the firm and adopted the pleasant life of the country gentleman retaining however the habits of the scholar i had determined when i left limmerly never to pass a day without doing a kind action and also to contribute something every day to the general knowledge of mankind having no special talents i was at first puzzled what to do however i thought it might be of use if i translated into popular english some of the great writers of antiquity this as you know has been my daily task for many years and the works already published attest my industry and now a last word about my religion it has been with me very many years we are no longer strangers to each other it has given me peace it has made me content it has taught me to value and enjoy life yet not to dread annihilation i believe in god the incomprehensible whose nature man can never ascertain to adore this extraordinary power would be irrational nor do i allow myself to speculate upon the mystery for it is wrong to waste the powers of the brain which might otherwise be usefully employed in reflecting on problems which cannot be solved i continue to gather knowledge and shall do so to my last hour i endeavour to be good and rigidly watch my temper and my thoughts i seek the happiness of others i will own that often in these twenty-five years i have sighed for my old belief when to me god was semi-human and man was semi-divine and after life death began and happiness never ceased and my mother my margaret would be joined to me again and also sometimes my heart has rebelled against the fate of the human race doomed to work like the coral insects of the sea but i learnt how to stifle such repinings and regrets and now i have attained the perfection of unselfishness as regards the disposition of my soul last year when i was given up by the doctors and expected to die every hour i had no desire whatever to begin a new state of existence and it even seemed ludicrous to me the idea of my feeble imperfect mind being transplanted to another world it was i thought just and natural that i should go back to the earth whence i came i have little more to say i think you will admit my dear ellen that one may cease to believe in a personal god and in the immortality of the soul and yet not cease to be a good and even a religious man indeed i think i approve something more namely that this religion of unselfishness for those who are able to embrace it is far more ennobling than any religion which holds out the hope of celestial rewards it may be that precisely on account of its unselfishness and purity it can make but few converts in the present condition of the human mind and certainly, long ages must elapse before it can become the religion of the world, but I believe that year by year the power of this religion will increase, and that more and more as time goes on, it will give rest to troubled hearts, as it did to mine at Limmerley. Lastly, there is one thing you ought to understand: I disbelieve in a future life, and this disbelief amounts to a positive conviction, but I may be mistaken. It is impossible to know. The doctrine or theory of a future life is not contrary to reason like that of a personal creator. We can show it to be most improbable, but on the other hand we must allow that it is a possible contingency. Well now, you may say, suppose that a good man, converted by your arguments, gave up the belief in his own immortality, loved others, labored for others, strove to purify his heart, but took no heed for his own soul and died believing in annihilation and there should be a future life after all what then why then he would be perfectly prepared for the life which he did not anticipate for this is a beautiful quality of our religion we disbelieve in future rewards and so eradicate all selfish longings from our hearts but if contrary to our expectations there should be a future life with rewards None will be able to rank with ourselves. For what life is so highly deserving of reward as that which is spent in doing good without the hope and desire of reward? End of letter fourteen. Recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine. End of the outcast by William Winwood Reed.